We control two aspects of this experience, our attitudes and our actions. Outside of that, life is constantly in flux. Through discipline and vigilance, we master ourselves. Good times come and go. Tough times come and go. This is the end of the world. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Ebb and Flow podcast. I am your host, Evan Britton. Woo! I hope you guys are hanging in there, man. This is a crazy time we find ourselves in. Um, I feel compelled to, you know, share as much light and positivity as I possibly can in this time. And I hope you guys are finding a way to do the same, whether that's out at the protests or sharing your thoughts on social media. I think it's very important that this dialogue continues. Today, I've got, man, this guy, he's one of my all-time favorite teammates I've ever had, one of my great friends. We played on the Jaguars together. I was right tackle. He was right guard. We were the motherfucking strong side. My brother, Uche Nwaneri, welcome to the show, my man. What's going on, brother? What's going on? I appreciate you bringing me on the Ebb and Flow podcast. How you been, man? I'm good, man. I'm really good. You know, I mean, there's a lot of heavy energy out there. There's yeah, no yeah, doubt for about sure. That. But, um, you know, man, at the end of the day, my family is healthy and happy and doing as well as they possibly can in this crazy time. So I've got no complaints. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's good for sure. Yeah, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. You know, much of the same, uh, you know, feel like, uh, it's, it's a crazy time right now. Feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of tension in the air and just, you know, this, this weird sense of, of, uh, of, of there being something on the horizon, I guess, but, um, you know, family's good. Family's healthy. I'm healthy. And, you know, you can't ask for much more than that. Uh, but, just uh, trying to stay aware out there, trying to ha- keep your eyes open and keep your mind open at the same time. No doubt, man. Uh, well, Uch, you know, I've always had a great deal of respect for you and your thoughts. You're so fearless with your philosophy and your views of the world. And that's really, you know, one of the things I appreciate most about you. And so, you know, I wanted to really dive into. It's okay, this. it's okay to light this up, right? Just oh yeah. For since, sure. we're, since we're getting deep and philosophical, <laughs> light it up, philosophical baby. mode. <laughs> light it up, brother. You know, so we've had the. You know, I mean, Jesus, where do we start? I mean, we can start here because you know, I don't, I don't know what else to say really, but so. <clears throat> Early last week, you know, we had the brutal killing of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, another unarmed, uh, you know, black man is killed in the streets in front of our very eyes by police. And, you know, it, and then the aftermath of that police not being charged the district attorney of Minneapolis basically refusing to press charges because he says there's not enough quote unquote evidence to charge the accused. 
Um, you know, we've gotten into these protests, uh, mostly peaceful, some turned into rioting and looting, and we can get into that later. But, you know, I, as, a, as a white man myself, you know, I feel like I really just watching this whole thing unfold, I'm like, there's nothing really to talk about anymore but this thing, you know, of racism mm-hmm. in America, you know. And, you know, for me, and I want to talk to you specifically about racism and your experience with it <clears throat> as a black man in America. Um, but like as a white man, I feel like we can't really take one more step forward until we acknowledge a few things. Until we acknowledge, number one, that America was literally built on genocide and slavery. Mm-hmm. Number two, racism is fucking real, man. Like racism is a real thing. And the issue for me is that if you're a white person who's grown up in an atmosphere that wasn't racist, like you're not from a racist family, you, you are very accepting and open of, to all people of all races, which is how you should be. You have this, it becomes like a non-issue, you know, it mm-hmm, becomes something mm-hmm. that you don't have to think about. Because you're, you don't ever have to think about that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to ever worry about going anywhere in the world and being treated a certain way be, based on, simply based on the color of your skin. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's been made abundantly clear at this point. Like, there's no way around it. Like, this has hit critical mass to me. Like, there's no way to argue that it's not happening which is that white privilege, whatever, you know, your feelings on the term may be. And a lot of people are just like, a lot of white people are fucking, they look oh, at, they don't they, like that. They don't they like hear, that. Uh, yeah. They hear white privilege and that it's like an affront. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, an instant hostility insult. starter. Like it's an insult, you know? And to me, the truth is what is white privilege? White privilege is the fact that a white man wakes up every morning, leaves his home, and doesn't have to worry about a deadly confrontation with law enforcement. Just as a starting point, Mm -hmm. a black man or a black woman does not have that luxury. Yeah. Like when you wake up in the morning as a black person, you have to think about your safety out in the world and especially your safety as it relates to law enforcement whose job it is to keep people safe and protected. Yeah. You know, and so as a starting point, you know, I'd love for you to talk about that and your experience. What's your experience been? And um, what are your feelings on this? Well, man, there's a lot to unpack there, but um, how do you, where do you, what do you, first of all, what do you think when I, when I express that stuff? What's your feeling? Uh, you know, I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. And, you know, the, pol- the politically, I guess, correct term for it right now is white privilege, right? But I don't, I, there are parts of me that, that, that in, in my mind, I dispute it because on one end, I think it has more to do with lack of 
lack of awareness of the environment. And that is, to me, the biggest portion of quote-unquote white privilege. It's that you don't have to be as aware when you walk out your front door to anything outside of your regular routine. You don't have to be as aware to that as minorities have to be, as black folks, you know, Mexican folks, whatever, what have you. But, mm-hmm. you know, when we're speaking specifically about the black black, right. uh, black race in America, uh, yeah, that is a thought. And even for myself, and look, man, we come from a world where we are so, we are, we've been so exposed to what diversity is yeah. Yeah. that we can't, we don't necessarily relate to the notion or the mis, the misnotion that, uh, you know, racism is dead in America. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of what people have, have kind of ran with over the decades since the civil rights movement. But right. We, we have seen the best side of what the civil rights movement intended for, from a, from an ideo- uh, ideological standpoint. We have been, as athletes, you know, flush with diversity. All mm-hmm. our, you know, we've had guys in the locker room who are from all walks of life. So, yeah our perspective is a little bit skewed because we were lucky enough to actually kind of truly experience what that, that dream was back then. We're exper- we experienced it as athletes because that world was built completely on your character and your, and your, and, and your level of production as an individual. Yeah. Race didn't factor into nothing as a player. Race didn't factor into anything. Uh, you know, We've had we've 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 had uh, uh, the the blessing of being able to see how that world can operate. Um, now you take us out of that bubble and put us in the real world, and it's a little bit different. So I think we have a different perspective. I think I think white privilege isn't that you know they don't uh, have to they don't they don't have to worry about their safety. It's that they don't even necessarily have to be aware. Than mm. anything else is going on oh. because they're already in that top portion of the population. They're the majority of the population. They have control over most of the population. So there's inherently not so much that they think about when they go out the door other than going to their job, coming back. And that doesn't take away from, you know, the problems that people have in between all those little things. But uh, for black folks in particular, I mean, I feel fine when I walk out the front door, but when I get in my car, if I see a police officer, knowing I have no record, knowing that I have no, nothing I have to worry about from a, is my driver's license good? Like nothing like that. But there's just something innately in my belly that is like, oh shit, you know, get in a different lane if he's behind you. Don't look at him if he's next to you and don't pass him. If, even if he's driving slower than the speed limit. Mm. but I've had encounters with police where uh, to me, it was clear that they profiled me, but you know, we're able to get over that a little bit quicker in our heads because of, because of the world we come from, Mm. but, uh, but it's there and I recognize it every day and you see it in how, you know, you know, when, when people, you know, when you're dealing with a police officer, whether or not there's already a little bit of like, I don't even know what to call it. You want to, I mean, we, we tension. Yes. And, and you know why there's tension, you know, perfect example. You know, I, I'm in Atlanta in Buckhead, Atlanta. I'm, I leave from an interview. 
this was uh, a few years back. I leave from an interview in Buckhead, Atlanta, around 9 p.m. Uh, <clears throat> I'm driving my car, and you know I have that. You know I have the 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 white R8 Spider. Yeah. <laughs> and you know I'm driving. You know, just and I'm not even. I'm just driving. It's not Dude. like I'm like flying down the road or nothing. <laughs> and there's a cop there. You know, in the next lane. Now I have to get into the lane on the other side of him to turn in about half a mile. And he's like in that speed range where he's not really, I can't determine where he's going. And I'm not, if I speed up, I would be speeding to pass him because we're kind of right at the speed limit. Mm. So we get to a light before the, before I need to turn. And when that light turns green, cause we're both at the front of the line, I fire out and get in front of him but I haven't even gotten close to the speed limit at this point. I got in front of him, kept my blinker on, and got over into the far left lane because I was, I mean, the next light, I was going to have to turn. Mm. He got behind me all the way over, and I look in the, uh, I look in my rearview mirror, he's checking the plates. I can tell. He's typing on his computer, looking at, my, looking at the back of the car, typing, blah, blah, blah. Now I've got the top down on the car. It's been down. The windows are all the way down. And I'm saying to myself, He's looking a little frustrated because he's looking at the, I mean, of course, there's nothing he's going to find on, the, on this car. Right. <laughs> so he's looking at the computer and looking back at the car, and he has that look like, mm, shuts the computer, and now he's, re- he's, he's ready for action. As soon as I start m- turning left, he flicks the lights on. Uh. There were multiple cars that, that were, like, stopping because everybody was kind of like, oh, who's he pulling over? And I'm like, it's me, guys. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. It's me. We pull into the there's a we pull into the into a parking lot right where there's a Starbucks and a Waffle House, and he comes up to the car. I'm thinking to myself, I know I wasn't speeding, I know I wasn't speeding. We were we were I, we were five miles under the speed limit when I got in front of him. Uh, I Ooh, know you know I don't. Ooh, this is like suburban Atlanta. This is up. This is like uptown Atlanta. Okay. This is Uptown Atlanta. Buckhead is the Uptown community. Like, that's where you're going to find your entrepreneurs, your... nice stuff. The nice stuff. That's where the, like, the avenues of Buckhead. That's like our Rodeo Drive. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Out there. So, pulls me over, walks up to the car, and, you know, the R8's a short car. So, he can see over the car as he's walking up to it. And... You know, I asked him, hey, officer, uh, you know, how, what's, you know, how can I, basically, how can I help you? I said, what's the problem? What's the issue? You know, what's, what's going on? In a very non-threatening tone, he says, roll your window up. I'm like, huh? I was confused because I thought he was going to tell me why, why I was being pulled over. He says, roll your window up. I said, officer, why did you pull me over? And he says, roll your window up again. It's the third time. I said, officer, you, you, you're not going to tell me why you pulled me over? Like, he said, no, no, you're going to roll your window up halfway. And I'm like, I, I, I was, I was arg- almost argumentative because I was confused as to why, what does yeah. pulling my window up have to do with why you pulled me over? Yeah. Roll your window up. Not going to tell you again. I was like, all right. So I roll my window up halfway. He sticks a tent a tent reader on it, and then he tells me my tent's too dark. So my response to that was, 
okay, wow. officer, but why did you pull me over? You couldn't, you had no idea that my tent, that I even had tent on my car because the windows have been rolled all the way down and the top is down. So why did you pull me over? It, it, uh, why, what, what is the point of this stop at this point? Like, I just asked him, why did you pull me over? My windows have been down, so you didn't even know I had tent. He's, you know, pretty, he, he's, he's just, he's nonchalant about anything I've said. He's not really listening to anything right. I've said since, since I started talking. But, you know, I didn't have my wallet on me. It was on 9 p.m. I was on my way back home from an interview that I did for a radio station. And I told him, I said, officer, I don't have my wallet. I just left an interview. I can give you my name, my birth date, and my social security number. And so he wrote it down and went back to his car. He comes back about 30, 45 seconds later. He says, my name, you know, he couldn't find me. So I'm like, uh, you know, my fr- I know my name is a long name. When you look at the actual, my name as a Nigerian name, it's long. So I re I told him how to spell my name as slowly as I could again, because to me, it's kind of awkward that you were writing down everything I said the first time, but my name does nothing. My name doesn't pop up. Yeah. So he goes back the second time and he comes back. He says, your name didn't pop up. Uh, I'm going to need you to get out the car. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, fine, dude. As soon as I opened the door, like as soon as I pulled the handle and the door propped open, that initial opening, he pulls the door open. Like he rips my door open. I was almost about to get mad. Like, yo, you know how much this car costs? Like <laughs> he pulls the door open and grabs my arm and bends my wrist back. He does the old wrist bend back. And, and I'm not even like, haven't even left the seated position yet. And I was like, officer, because my first, in my head, my first initial thought was to pull my arm back. And this was right, this was 2016. This was right around the uh, uh, time when Kaepernick was doing his thing. Mm. <clears throat> my initial reaction in my head was to yank my arm back. Because anytime somebody grabs your, grabs your arm, anytime somebody grabs you, you're going to, like, respond and pull yourself, you know, hey, let go of me. Yeah. You know, in the milliseconds that I had, I... Over overrid that thought and said, "Let your arm go limp and just kind of fall for out of the car. Don't yeah. pull your arm back because yeah. he's going to think I'm resisting, and that could just escalate the situation. Right. So what's going on right now? That's the last thing I want. So I kind of giggled at it, like when he when I was coming out of the car because I was like, officer, I said, I said, you don't have to grab my arm like that. I'm not resisting you." And I am literally just getting out of the car. Like basically in a, in a, in a, in a, in a way I was telling him, Hey man, relax. Like, yeah, I'm not going to resist you. Pulls me out of the car, bends my arm back, puts me in handcuffs, throws me in the back of the car. At this time, when he pulled me out that car, I got to look at the, at, uh, at the, cause we were in the main like kind of roadway of the parking lot. So, uh, on my left was Starbucks, and immediately on my right was Waffle House. Starbucks has a little, like, little walking area on the side of their building, and there's about 20 people just standing there literally with their phones. Oh, wow. I had no idea until then, until I got pulled out of the car. They're all recording. Wow. And he tells me I'm a threat because he doesn't know who I am, so he puts me in the back of the car. He starts to search my car. 
Now the window in the car in his police cruiser, I was in the back seat. The window was halfway down. And I was like, I was like pissed. Like, well, what? This guy just threw me in the back of the car. I gave him my name. I know I know if my name gets put in the system, anybody's name goes in the system, it's gonna pop up. Like, what yeah. is he talking about? And I look up and he's searching my car. So I stuck my my mouth to the window and yelled as loud as I could, officer, I didn't give you consent to search my car, what are you doing? And he looked up and then he was like, oh, I thought I smelt weed. Ugh. Which, dude, look, I just got the car detailed. There was nothing in my car. There wasn't, there, there was nothing in my car. I was almost mad but, well, before I did the interview because I didn't have anything, you know, there was nothing to smoke. Yeah. So <clears throat> he comes back to the car and he's, uh, and he's calling for backup. I hear him call for backup. And I'm just like, oh, this is like going away. This is weird. I'm like, what? why is this getting, what does this turn into? Like, pull my name up. This is not even a traffic stop. I told him, I said, officer, this isn't even, you haven't even told me what I've been, what I've been pulled over for yet. He said, you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> Give me your name again. And I was like, I just gave him my name again, but I added on top, I ad-libbed on top of that. You understand that I am a local business owner. Right down the street is one of my businesses here in Atlanta. I'm a law-abiding citizen. What you, you're treating me like I've already done something and, you know, we're, you're a little hostile right now. I don't get it. I have a lot of APD uh, police officers who have worked for me and, you know, this isn't how I really uh, envision the APD operates. And I started, and I listed off three, uh, cause I saw that he was just, he wasn't a, he was just a street cop. He was a beat cop. So I started listing off his Lieutenant, his captain. Cause I know them all. Mm. I started listing off their names and telling them, I know these guys, like they've worked at my businesses, mm. you know, on the, on the EJ an extra job. And Right then, his demeanor starts to crack a little bit, starts to change. Like he mm-hmm. starts, he, because he, he, he noted, he knew the names I was talking about mm-hmm. and puts my name in the exact same way I just told him the last two times to do it. And there goes my, my profile, Bloop, pops up. No warrant. He calls into Texas, which my license was a Texas license at the time. He calls into Texas to see if I have warrants. And it's like, no warrants in Atlanta, no warrants in Texas. Like, this person is clear. He gives me, he gives me a ticket for my tent. He pulls me out of the car, takes my cuffs off, and tries to kind of, you know, smooth over the, the, the interaction on the last half. And I, I kind of stopped him in mid-talk, like, officer, look, I understand you, gotta, you, gotta, you have a tough job. But you can't be, you can't treat people like they're threats before you even know what you're dealing with. Mm. And you pulled me over without even giving me an explanation as to why I was pulled over. That you, this was an unlawful traffic stop. I could sue the police for that because you've inconvenienced me. You put me in handcuffs in front of all these people. You've humiliated me. And now, you know, people, I'm going to have to deal with this. And his, you know, when it got, when, when that kind of dawned on him, his entire demeanor kind of like, you know, man, look, man, it, it's, it, I get it, man. Blah. 
I'm like, look, dude, that's not, I understand what, that when you come out here every day, your life is on the line. I get that, dude, but don't put it on the line unnecessarily. You know what I mean? Don't be in a mode where you're already thinking that people you're dealing with are out to get you or harm you. Or the fact that you saw me driving this kind of car, you pull me over and don't even tell me why I'm pulled over. And then you make me roll my window up for what? Like everything you did in that first 10 minutes that we were encountered, all that did was put us in a position to have a, to, to be in a worst case scenario if things got hairy. And, you know, I, you know, I got, he gave me the ticket. I took the ticket. I was pissed really that I got the ticket because I didn't yeah. even have any, there was no reason to pull me over. Yeah. But of course he saw a black dude with dreadlocks in a $300,000 car with the top down. Yeah. Cruising on. He looked at me when I was next to him on the, at the light. And when I got in front of him, I knew what time it was, but I had to get in front of him because I needed to turn. There was nothing yeah. there. I wasn't going to wait on him. There was a lot of traffic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, once he, once I got back in my car and I kind of, you know, was just resetting myself, all these people come over from the Starbucks and they were like, we saw everything. If you want to go to the, if you want to go, uh, if you want to go take this to court, you should take, people were telling me, take it to court. Clearly he pulled you over and was acting the way he was because he was profiling me. He thought that he was going to yeah. hit on something because it's a black dude in a nice ass car. He either is an athlete or he's a pusher. Hmm. So I'm going to check. I'm going to street check him real quick and see if I can't shake something out of the tree. And because I, and on my end, of course it was my fault. I didn't have my driver's license with me. But so once he saw, once he knew I didn't have a license with yeah. me, he was ready to go. He was ready to go. He just knew that now, though, he's a, pu okay, pusher, pusher. That's what he is. Mm. And he started to treat it that way. So, you know, I have, I've had other uh, situations with police that are, that fall into that same kind of category. I mean, I'm in front of my own business and I'm trying to get the police to come over here to come talk about the, to come talk to these people that we had to kick out because they're, they're breaking stuff in the, in the restaurant, you know, and officers come in, they don't realize that I'm the owner. So they kind of like walk slightly walk past me oh. and they're looking to, you know, uh, my, my bar manager and she kind of just points them right back over to me. Like, Nope, the owner's oh. over there. <laughs> and now they're like, Oh, Oh, okay. Oh. Like what you thought I was security, motherfucker? Like, come on. But, you know, there have been other instances, man, and I don't want to, you know, be, just go on on multiple stories, but the fact of the matter is that every encounter a black person has with the police on our end, I can say for a fact, I, and I feel like I can speak for black people in this, is that I feel like 95% of black folks, when they get pulled over by the police, they go into a in, into a there's a certain level of panic inside mm -hmm. of you that starts up the moment the lights come on. Yeah. Because it's not about, am I going to get a ticket? It's not about, am I, you know, you know, uh, am I going to have to deal, go to, go to court? It's kind of, am I about to be in one of them situations where yeah. a cop kind of handles things way too hostile or in some, in, in other instances, a cop gets physical with somebody like he did with me. And, or is he, or am I going to, or am I going to, am I going to end up getting shot? You know what I mean? Is it going to turn into one of those 
situations where I end up getting shot. Being dead. And it's weird because it's hard to explain to somebody how that feels. Mm. It really is. It's not, it's not like a state of shock, but you're, it's, it's a couple of pegs under that because anything you, any movement you make, any mannerisms you have are going to be paid attention to on a much different, from a much different perspective with that officer than, you know, the people that know you would, would see them. So that's why we keep our hands on the steering wheel. That's why we like, keep your ID within reaching distance. You see what happened to these people who, you know, making regular kind of movements end up getting killed by cops because cops says that they try to, they justify it with, Oh, I thought he was reaching for a weapon. <clears throat> but, um, well, yeah, man, just, just, that's just the overall kind of scope of the police experience. I feel like, you know, and, and yeah. I know I went on for a minute, but no, dude, that was know. so important, man, for you to share that. Uh, you know, eh, eh, <sighs> I don't even really know what to say, but I think you hit on it so perfectly is, you know, and that's the difference, man. Like, that's the difference. Like, white people don't even have to be aware of that, you know? Yeah. And, like, that's kind of – because let's just break down this white privilege shit. Because I used to be one of those guys who'd be offended by it. Because I thought it was something to do with, like, oh, you're saying that – I haven't had to work for everything I have. Yeah, and you're yeah, saying yeah. that. Cause, cause there was a phase of it that was kind of hijacked a little bit by, by the media. Right. And, and I think by like the super left liberals who started this whole thing of like, I'm cancel gonna, culture and all this. Yeah. And like, I'm going to, I'm going to apologize for being white. Like yeah. black people. That's yeah. not. What I always is. thought that was ridiculous. It's like, that's not what this is about. This isn't yeah. like, I'm not going to fucking apologize for being white, you know? Yeah. It's about fucking recognizing and acknowledging that people of color suffer more deeply in certain situations just because of the color of their skin. Yeah. You know? It can get, it can get a lot hairier a lot quicker for black folks. Yeah. Because there are assumptions that are sometimes made before a situation even comes into play that, you know, don't work out in black folks' favor because of that, because these people have a bias against the, you know, just the black race and from a standpoint of their profession. Like, so let's, let's talk about that. Like, it it's disturbing. It's disturbing to see sort of, what's being revealed because now everybody has a camera. Yeah. yeah. So like the like eye Smith in the said, sky, yeah. you know, the eye in the sky has been turned around on the establishment now, mm -hmm. you know, at one point, like, because these are pretty new still, you know, we're, we're what? Like we're, we're, we're a decade into, 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 yeah. into cell phone, like so smartphones. Now, right. So now people are really getting the hang of this thing, you know, and, and this is like a part of who people are now. So, yeah. you know, it's taken 10 years to get to this point where people feel like, well, people are just filming everything anyway, you know? Yeah. I mean, it takes maybe two, two pushes of, of your screen or two pushes of your, power button at least on a samsung to get your camera up and running you, yeah. all i gotta do is double tap my power button and the camera comes up they've made it easier than ever 
to use the camera app and everybody knows how to do it. Exactly. So, you know, everybody can record anything at any time. So now we're getting this re- this fucking real life glimpse of these things that we never saw before, you know? And so, and part of that, and part of that, of the, the anger in, in the black community is that they've been saying this, we've been saying right, this right. For, for way before there was cameras and people didn't believe it. People didn't look at it as, uh, you know, look at it as the problem that it was. People looked at it and said, oh, you know, I don't see it. I don't see racism right here around us, so it's not real, right? Like, but no, now you're seeing it because it's on camera. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so I'm curious, man, like, look, being a police officer, and let's start there because, I mean, that's that's sort of the apex of this conversation. I mean, obviously, like with Ahmaud Arbery, you know, those were like two fucking white supremacists just out and about. Those weren't police officers. Yeah, they were they were acting as as vigilantes when they're you know and 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 I think that that story, the the Ahmad Aubrey story, is a perfect kind of uh, all encompassing uh, uh, situation that it kind of validates the the notion from black folks that. If we didn't have camera phones, if we didn't have our smartphones, you see how they tried to bury this case. Yeah. You see how it was being buried. That's where my anger comes from Yeah. when I talk to people because it's like, look, look at this. If that video never came out, those two men would still be free to this day. They would not be in fear of going to, on trial. They would not be being, they would not be investigated. You had two district attorneys, two, yeah, who refused, who 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 didn't immediately run the process of investigating, arresting, and arresting these guys because they already had connections with them personally. Good old boys club. Yeah, these guys were going to bury this case, and, and they were do thank God that their team. own and, and and their own lawyer, the McMichael's lawyer. Their first lawyer is the one who gave the film over to the police because he thought it was going to it was going to show that they were innocent. Thank God that he was stupid enough and had his own biases that he couldn't see that this is a, a, a damning piece of evidence against your clients. You should never release it. And had it not been for that massive mistake, we wouldn't even know about the Ahmaud Arbery case right now. Yeah. And that in and of itself is proof of what black folks have been saying for decades. You don't see it, but it's happening. And look at how it was happening on a systematic level with Ahmaud Arbery. Yeah. That's That's what's blowing my mind, man. That's what's kind of blowing my mind most about this whole thing is that I understood that this was happening. You know, I had gotten to a place now where I understood that this was happening. And, but I'm just blown away. It seems like the system now is not even trying to hide how racist the system is. Well, Um, I think, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. My bad. No, but just like the system, like the system is blatantly racist. Or, you know, and it's it is it is very skewed. 
there's a couple of ways you can look at it. On one end, it is, it is a, a destructive system for people who are in poverty. Yes. I mean, it puts them into a circle of, they're in a cycle of, 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 of repetition and paying for all of these things. They have not being able to afford stuff. They're basically yeah. cemented into debt immediately yeah. once they're in the system. Uh, and then on the other end, there is the systematic, there's the, there's the racist, the systematic racism part is more in the, in the, in the legislation and how they factor it in. It's going to affect, uh, you know, minorities more when you can look at something like the one in 100, one in 100 rule, which was something that came into effect back when Ronald, Ronald Reagan was president in the 1980s once, when you had the crack epidemic. You would get, uh, they passed legislation that gave out a hundred year prison sentence for one rock of crack cocaine. One rock of crack cocaine versus one ounce of powdered cocaine. The the difference between those two uh, drugs, one which was heavily used by uh, the, uh, Heavily used by black by, by black minorities, and yeah, then one that was used exactly one hundred to one, uh, and, and and people who had an ounce of powdered cocaine could see as little as probation. While if you had one rock of crack cocaine, yeah, you could get a hundred years, which was un- that was that was insane. That was that was like who comes up with that law and who approves it. It's crazy. Yeah, so this is what's known as the 100 to 1 rule. Federal law mandates a 10-year sentence for anyone caught with 50 grams of crack, about the weight of a candy bar. To get a comparable sentence, a dealer selling powdered cocaine would have to be caught with 5,000 grams, enough to fill a briefcase. Yeah, so my numbers were off a little bit there, but clearly you see the disparity here. Point is there, yes. That is a massively different approach to crime, not even crime. That's a massively different approach to how you treat one version of a, of a drug that, uh, that is, you know, easily 90% used by minorities and black people to the other, which is a more high, a more upper class drug that's used by business owners, corporate owners, you know, stock traders, the yuppies, you know, (laughs) these white assholes, you know, just a completely different approach to enforcement of law uh, and consequences of, of breaking of law, which what other, what other reason could there be besides the fact that one's used by black folks, one's used by white, white folks are the ones who are majority, um, the majority of of the people who are part of building these systems are white. They're not going to give themselves 50 years for, you know, what, 10 grams. Uh, and you look at you look at how it played out. That was part of what fueled the prison for, prison for profit system. And you know we all know the stat. We all know the the number that uh, we all know the fact that you know the majority of people in prison are black. You know when you when you look at it on a numbers basis. Yeah. Uh, and that has done a, a great deal of damage to the black community from the family standpoint. And uh, you know that in and that has was one of the deepest daggers. Uh, into the in, into the breaking up of the of the black family because in the 1950s and 60s it wasn't like that 
black men were in their homes taking care of their families. Yeah. You know, like they were dealing with racial injustice then, but they were, they had ideals, they had values. Uh, yes. Yeah, so when, when you had people who fell into a bad way with drugs and instead of treating that like the health issue that it was, it was villainized. And there were people who were just addicts who end up, you know, 50 year prison sentence, but they've got a family, Yeah, you know, it did a lot of damage from the drug itself did a ton of damage, but the system also added on top of that damage and it made it, 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 you know, it, it crippled the, the, the how the black household at that point. Mm. So, um, you know, there's, 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 there's just a lot of different layers to this whole, it's not just as simple as racism in its purest form. There are layers of it, mm. layers of it that you have to peel back. And it starts with the laws, right? It starts with, you know, how these things have been, you know, made official policy. And, and it also starts with how police uh, have, have how the police culture has kind of perpetrated that, uh, that kind of a gang mentality. Uh, you know, these are police officers that watch out for each other's back, both in the field and off the field when they're writing reports and when they're testifying. Yeah. And, you know, that is a, that's a corruption of the oath they took to protect and serve. Yeah. You know, these guys are operating. There's that, that blue wall, like we all talk about. They, mm. they will change the, uh, the, the, the details of a situation for the official record. You notice that with George, with George Floyd, they did not talk about in the police report that they had him, had their knee on his neck for nine minutes. They said he had a medical event and they called the paramedics and boom. They never talked about the, that they had him pinned on the ground, restrained. They never talked about anything he said. Yeah. Yeah. They left all that off the report. So at that point, they don't even have credibility to to me when there is, when there's a, when they're trying to create a defense as to why this happened. There's no credibility. You already lied on the police report. Yeah. You know? So the culture is the problem. The culture is what is, is fucked up with them. The police culture. The police culture is part of what's, what's, what's wrong with a lot of this police brutality. The culture is the culture of a gang. And then on top of that, they're told that the black folks are the animals. So you got to co you, you can't, you know, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta dominate them. Like mm. our president would say. Mm. And, and that is, that's how we get treated, bro. That's how we get treated. And, and not all cops. I'm not going to, you know, that's, that's, let's be real. The majority of cops, probably not, Probably not, not, not that, not, not bad cops, but like we all know, it's not the good people who are put on blast. It's the bad people. Yeah. And there's such a, and we know there's such strength in their culture that the good cops don't say anything Yeah, because it gets, it gets, it goes all the way to the top in a lot of cases. So it's above their pay grade. They really, and if they say something, they're going to get ostracized. So, you know, it's that's that's just another big onion of layers is the prop into the problems with their culture. So there's there's a lot that has to be peeled back in many different, you know, sections of this discussion before you can really start finding solutions, uh, you know, on, on an earnest level. Because you know, in my opinion, nothing's going to change until it's federally changes for all of the police departments. There should be federal guidelines, federal required training, 
required schooling yeah. to be a police officer, period. You yeah. can't have, there's nothing about, you know, police, the precincts don't, shouldn't have the, shouldn't have the freedom to decide how they should train. There should be a, a, a playbook on this is how you will train uh, based on federal guidelines. Mm. And that will at least put everybody on the same page. Mm. We know exactly what you can and can't were, were and weren't trained to do, you know, and those guide those, those training protocols should be public, you know, public information that we can all look at and, and, you know, kind of a re-education, a re, a re, a re-education of the, of how police are going to be trained and how the public will also know how they're trained. So it's not different in any state. It's all the same because they can't do it by themselves. You see some op, some departments don't train on stuff. And a lot of times, if you're really being honest, they don't know the law. Yeah. And if, because if, if they do, then that means they're willfully ignoring the law because I've seen numerous occasions where police officers on a technical level are incorrect. The law does not give you the power to do this. If you don't have this. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's why it's, you know, I, I love that I'm seeing what I've seen in these protests and in this unrest in our, in our, in our society, it's exposed it full front and center for yeah. every person. Cause you ain't doing shit. Cause we're on quarantine Yeah, <laughs> and you know, the economy's bad, 40 million people unemployed People are, are, are teetering right now. So yeah. when you get exposed, now you're going to ex- get exposed to the truth about your system for, as a whole. We've yeah. seen the truth about our economy. It can be crumbled, crumpled in 10 days. Of in, with 10 days of inaction, with 10 days of, of no movement in the American society, it will destroy. It can begin to destroy our entire economic uh, foundations because they're built on the house of cards. Mm. Stock market's fake. We, I mean, if, we, if you don't know that by now, yeah, <laughs> you know what can we say to you? Because the stock market, how is it doing good right now? Yeah, but nobody's working. <laughs> Explain that. Mm. You know, like we got to be real with ourselves for a second. Like our society is not as strong as this capitalism thing isn't as strong as we think it is mm. because it doesn't hold up against any extended amount of pressure, and then. Our, 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 our government system, our government legislation, our government uh, uh, checks and balances, we've watched them all just flounder in the wind over the past five months because, you know, they can't, can't nobody figure out what to do about nothing. Yeah. We've always said that government is slow when you try to get things done with the government. They're slow. And this showed how the fact that we're slow and the fact that we, were, that, that, that we just have people who don't know what they're doing yeah. And the driver's seat has just doubled that that deficiency within our system. And it's been exposed. It's been exposed. Yeah. So we're seeing the ugly side of everything we thought was 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 superior about our country from a infrastructural standpoint on all levels. And now we're being exposed to the to the fact that there's still a lot of racism and a lot of under underhanded 
uh, corruption and yeah. bias against many of the people in this country and definitely against the minorities in this country. Uh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And this is the, this is the human reaction to it. It's to burn shit. Yeah. Because people get tired of it. Yeah. And I ain't saying it's right, but like the fucking song says, that's just the way it is. Well, people let's talk about that though, dude, because no doubt. First of all, what is, what is a, an appropriate response to, you know, 200 plus years of oppression and silencing. If, you know, I mean, people want to come out and say, you know, I've heard all these people come out and say, well, we condemn the killing of George Floyd, but that doesn't make it right to go riot and loot. And I'm like, well, what the fuck do you know about, you know, spending your whole life not being listened to or acknowledge for the pain you're going through. What the fuck do you think is going to happen? A. B. I can't even tell you. I'm so fucking mind blown and confused and angry and just, I don't even know what to say about how many videos I've seen of these A. mysterious pallets of bricks being set at protest sites for these like weird videos of undercover cops smashing windows in with hammers even just like full blast full-blown uniformed police smashing windows in talking to like fucking white vandalizers and laughing about what they should write in their you know tagging i'm like is the rioting even really part of like it seems orchestrated by outside influences who yeah. want to delegitimize this thing, yeah. value it, you know, say, look, there's, they're the violent ones. Look, mm-hmm. yeah, of course it's not safe. To, it's not cool. We can't condemn, you know, the killing of a unarmed, uh, you know, black man who's not resisting, but look at how violent these people are that they're doing all this. Yeah. Yeah. No, dude, um, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, it's crazy because four years ago when, when, when you had, uh, the kneeling, uh, with Kaepernick, when you had the protests and and the stuff going on in in Ferguson, uh, when you had, uh, Philando Castile, all these different people who were being killed by police officers and there were protests, demonstrations, you know, there was this, this urging from, you know, I guess white America. Well, it's got to be peaceful. If you can't be peaceful, then we're not going to listen. And, you know, it's, it's been on a repetitive kind of cycle of that. Each time something happens, they, there's an, there's, there's that element outside of the protest that is after anarchy, that's after chaos. And they point to that and now rotate the topic from, the person whose life was taken un- unnecessarily by a police officer to, oh, look at them. When they protest, they can't even do it peacefully. They, they destroy their own communities. And I think now with this situation, because it was so egregious what happened, and that, that brought out so many people to protest because it was, there was true 
I mean, and I'm not saying that it wasn't true with the ones before, but this was different. We watched the man yeah. be slowly snuffed out over 10 minutes. Yeah. This was completely different. Yeah. And it there was a wave of people who were ready to mobilize the protest, more than we've seen, I think, since the, the riots in the 60s, uh, the civil rights movement, or the, the demonstrations yeah. during the civil rights movement. Yeah. And... You know, with that, that element, which always shows up, you know, kind of conveniently shows up, you know, at the back half of that first major protest, uh, that element comes into play. But also, I think right now, people this time, the protesters have kind of caught on. Before, it was like, you know, who are these extra people that are in here in our crowd that are don't necessarily look like protesters, uh-huh. It looked more like people who were here, you know, ready to kind of cause some shit. Like yeah. they're dressed out in all this gear, blacked out, and they're they're being very uh, uh, abrasive and aggressive towards, you know. The, I mean, yeah, everybody's yelling at the cops, but they're they're like damn near trying to jump over a railing for the cops. Uh-huh. And now they're you know now there's looting going on and all this stuff going on. But I think this time you're seeing a lot of videos. You're seeing a lot of, of, of situations where protesters are finding them and seeing them and pointing them out and grabbing them and handing them to the police. And now because of all the coverage this is getting, you know, people everywhere are feeling it. Cause again, nobody's doing nothing. And they're seeing these things that we didn't catch before yeah. the pallets of bricks, the, 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 these, you know, placed just conveniently in front of, Tons of like businesses that have yeah. nothing but glass coverings, yeah. and it's like somebody's doing it on purpose. And then you have the guy with the yeah. umbrella in all black who, before yeah. the, on the first night of of the Minnesota uh, during the Minnesota protest, before you know, right before uh, the sun starts to set, yeah, this you got this guy who looks like he does not belong in this in this scenario. He he sticks out like a sore thumb. He was black. Even- he was subversively like going around the protests, like through alleys. Yes, and wasn't and now he, he in that at all. He wasn't in any way participating in the protests, and protesters caught on to it and they started yeah. filming. Yeah, and he's nonchalantly with a crowbar <laughs> smashing windows. Like I mean, he's like doing it while he's looking straight forward. Walking, and a protester comes up to him like, "Hey, who are you?" Yeah, what the fuck are you? And doing? he like first the first his first reaction he stepped at him like he was gonna do something. Yeah, he stepped at the, at the protester, and then he kind of veered back into his into his into the the line he was walking because that instinct is gonna blow his cover. Yeah, to, if he starts attacking that guy or pushes yeah. him away from him. Yeah, so he acts like he's talking to him. Oh, I'm here for you guys. I'm here for you guys. And these people keep the camera on him. Yeah, and they keep following him and they keep asking him, "Who are you?" Yeah. Who are you? Well, the camera got a good enough view of him that apparently the dude's wife is the one who ID'd him. Yeah. Because she saw his face and she was like, that's my husband. St. Paul yeah. police officer. St. Paul police officer who has been, who, 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 who is infiltrated the protest to instigate property damage and looting. So now we see that they have their own plan to de-legitimize de- these kind of protests 
And you can only assume that it's the same tactics that they're using all over the country to try and take the uh, narrative and switch it to look at the property damage. Yeah. Because you do have opportunists who are going to see this stuff and going to be like, oh, shit, AutoZone windows got busted open. I'm going to go grab me a new car battery. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's people who do that. That's wrong. And, that's, and, that, and that has to be dealt with as well. But let's make no mistake. There's a reason why it happens like that, to take people's attention away from what they should be paying attention to so that we get back into that cycle of, oh, well, look at them. They're destroying their own community. <laughs> they wanted to stay there. So they're fighting against us fighting their systemic racism. Yeah. Their systemic corruption. Yeah. And it's clear as day. And, and, with, with, and with people catching on to it the way they are now, now questions are being asked. The media is yeah. starting to ask. You know? I you think, can't, you know. You can't I, not. You can't talk about anything if you're not going to acknowledge this. If we can't even acknowledge the issue, then we can't. There's no way we're going to have a conversation. Yeah, we can. And, and, and now, like we're seeing, a lot of minorities and the black community, we ain't, there's no more asking. There's, it's not about asking no more. We're telling y'all it's going to change. It's going to change. It, it has to. Yeah. And we're not letting y'all off the hook with this shit like we've done for the last for the last 10 years that we've been seeing it on camera in the last 50 years that it's been happening since the civil rights act. Yeah. So, you know, now is it's 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 taken this just has a totally different aura uh, uh, around it uh as compared to anything we've seen in the past, you know, 10 15 years. Yeah. So this I feel like if there's a moment for it to, to happen where something actually does change in our system uh, for and and, it's, and I'm talking about substantial, measurable change. Yeah, I think this this past week is going to be the catalyst to to push that because black folks ain't going to have it no more. They're not. You see what Drew Brees said when he said yeah. it. You, when he said what he said, and we can you know we can talk about that as well because I mean I have my I mean well, <laughs> let's talk about whoa. it. I mean let's because you kind of segued. Um, I think it's just. You know, the memes going around of Cap kneeling, and it's like, you know, this is why next to fucking mm-hmm. that police officer kneeling on George Floyd's neck. Yep. Like, this was the purpose, you know? And then the conversation, you know, the mainstream media, white America, still, they wanted to steer this conversation into. He's disrespecting the flag and the national anthem and our military. You know, even though Kaepernick said, I'm kneeling because we need to do something about, uh, you know, police brutality and police brutality. And, you know, it's time to fucking look at this. And the conversation still wanted to come back to this. And, and that is like, even now, like Drew, what the fuck are you saying, bro? Yeah, dude. <laughs> wife must hate having fights with you because you don't listen to a fucking thing anyone says. Clearly. You know, it was shocking to me. It was shocking to me. Look, and, and like I said, I had to, we, we did a podcast on this last night. And, his comments were shocking. And it wasn't that his comments were shocking. His comments didn't shock me. Uh-huh. And they didn't shock me for the reason of if you're, if you break down the entire, if you break down that, that the question and his answer and you analyze it, he never answered the question one. 
he shifted the topic from one thing to another. The question was, what do you see the possibility of the return of protests in the NFL, uh, at, you know, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd? Mm. And how would you know? What do you think about the reaction that your teammates and people in the locker room will have as well? What, what do you, how do you judge the climate on that uh, due to the situation? And it was shocking to me that for somebody who was supposed to be so smart and supposed to be such an amazing leader and is supposed to be such a legend in his abilities on the football field, which would mean you would have to have an uncanny level of self-awareness yeah yeah to be able to operate like that on Sundays yeah that to me means that there's no way you're stupid you're not <laughs> right right man yeah but you are absolutely 100% tone deaf yeah which to me is willful because you're not stupid yeah. Which means you don't, which means you're playing politics and we ain't playing politics no more with this no. shit. Yeah. So if you're going to sit here and not answer the question and talk about your grandfathers, we can, I mean, first off, you think your grandfathers being white are any more notable than the black soldiers who fought in World War II as well, who fought in segregated units, who came yeah. back to this country after they fought on the other side of the world and didn't receive the Heroes Day parade that your grandfathers got. They didn't receive any of that. They got attacked yep. for wearing military uniforms as black men. They had to take their families to the back entrance of restaurants while your grandparents got to walk in the front and be greeted by the owner and shake hands and kiss babies and take pictures. So that in and of itself is a selfish-ass way to, to a selfish perspective to have mm. considering the question you were asked. Mm. Now, once you go past that, you just moved the goalpost and talked about you will never agree with anybody who disrespects the flag, which can be taken one of two ways. Either uh, uh, you, you don't support any kind of protest at all during the, during the national anthem or you don't support people physically or, or I guess metaphorically attacking the flag. One of which is not, doesn't have, has nothing to do with the other kneeling as players in protest has absolutely nothing to do with the American flag. It is a protest that is really placed in the perfect moment of the course of an event like a football game or a basketball uh, game or a hockey game. The moment when everyone is unified in one direction and you can get their attention by taking a knee in solidarity with the people who you know to be hurting right now because of the events that are taking place in this country that we all love. Because you wouldn't be taking a knee if it wasn't if you're gonna take a knee during during the national anthem, that's because you are in a way airing your grievance to the flag that you pledge allegiance to. And that's what that's our right. Now, of, of course, he has the right to to have an opinion any which way he wants. But to be so tone deaf 
yeah. and not even understand and be aware and be and have the awareness to understand that the question asked of you was, do you see protests returning? Not do you agree with protests? And what do you think the climate will be with your teammates? Because you're a leader in a locker room and yeah. you deferred to the flag and the national anthem. And yeah. that is a pussy's way out of a, out of a tight corner because you don't know how to answer a question with and how to just, if nothing else, have empathy for the situation going on and acknowledge it and leave it at that. You don't even have to talk about the flag. If he would have said nothing about the flag or the or the national anthem, he would have he would have been way better off if he said <laughs> nothing at all about it. Dude, and that's where it hurts to see that this yeah. guy. Yeah. who was in a city that was one of the a deep south city that saw that that had people in it at a time that were that 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 felt like their way of life was to have other people in servitude to them saw them as three-fifths a human being mm. and though the ancestor and, and their their great grandchildren are living today in that same city under those set and they are and have those same proud values as their family's uh, uh, line has had. And I'm not saying that it means that all of them are racist, but it does mean that that wound of racism and that wound of slavery is the scar is right there in yeah. plain sight. When you go into that city, no question. Man. And for you to, to, to say that and be so completely off you change the subject, like literally. Like you that had means to you, say that. Yeah, like that you, means you don't support your black teammates. I you know. know I mean? How is that going to go down now, dude? I mean, I mean, how is that going to go down? You know what? I mean, hey, things work out in weird in weird ways, right? If the Saints were ever thinking about a plan to replace Drew Brees, <laughs> now they got the answer. Now you got the excuse to pull it in a heartbeat, and nobody. Is going to be pissed, except yeah. I mean, except for people you know, who, yeah, except for people who you know will change the subject just like he did. Yeah. So that to me, is just the most. That's just the most. I never imagined, dude. We we we've been in the locker room, dude. Yeah. I never in my life would imagine. There are two scenarios that I that I. There are two ways that we kind of figure it works out when there's any kind of very tense moments or tense situations in the NFL as a community. You either make a statement or you don't. Yeah. You either, you say something or you just don't say shit. At least if you don't say nothing, there's only so much that, that there's only so much anger that can be directed your way. And historically those quarterbacks, the, 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 the historically the white players, the white faces in, in, in the NFL, in the NFL when there is the, this kind of tension and this kind of turmoil where these kind of questions are being brought to the forefront, historically, they'd stay quiet. Which they is, pass. Yeah, they pass, which in a way is fine. You don't want to put, you don't want to say some shit that you can look pretty stupid saying, like our man Drew Brees here. Uh, Drew Brees here. Like they stay quiet. It doesn't mean that they agree or disagree and you don't want to assume that they do or they don't. We can't prove it, so fine. I will accept your, your your 
not saying anything. That's the culture historically with, with, yeah. and you know, and, and I'm sure it's like that across the line, but in football, we know that. Yeah. Now. Well, well I want to point out one thing, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me because these people, it's just like beyond anything. It's like, dude, you're just so resistant to even hearing the perspective of these people, first of all. And then secondly, I love how it always gets skipped over that Kaepernick actually went to Green Berets and, and, and asked them, yeah. And said, what is the most respectful way I can do this? And they told him the most respectful way to call attention or do a silent protest during the national anthem mm-hmm. would be to take a knee. Yeah, they said that's a, that's still a... showing respect to yeah. the military, to the flag, etc. You're calling attention through other means. Yeah, and that's always and, and... like you know all the people who are like, oh well, it's a massive disrespect. It's like, dude, do you realize he got it from maybe some of the highest trained military personnel in the world, the most patriotic guys you could ask gave him that advice. Yeah. And, and, and where does that come from? That comes from, again, a culture where for us as athletes at the end of practice, we come up to our coach, we circle up, we get, you know, we, we bring it up on, on the coach and we take a knee. Yeah. You stand or you take a knee. You know, if you were, you know, that's respect. That's like eyes and attention to the coach on a knee and respecting, you know, giving him the respect to, to, to allow him to do his job and close out practice. It's the same, that same context, that same respect is how, that's, that's what's now been translated onto the, into, the, into the act of protesting with a respectful gesture that is recognized in our kind of, you know, team-oriented culture, which is what the military is as well. Yeah. And if you can't if if you're if you're not willing to understand that, I mean, you don't have to agree with it. But if you can't even understand it, if you vehemently fight against the notion of it, then you you're on the wrong side of history with this. Because, you know, it just shows again that you're tone deaf, that you yeah. don't, you're not either, you're either not willing or you don't have the ability to be aware of the situation at hand yeah. and allow for it to have its own merit aside, aside from how you view, you know, that particular uh, gesture in relation to the flag itself and the anthem. If you can't separate that, then you, then you're, then you're just, you're tone deaf and you're, you have no awareness of you, about you. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's crazy, one dude. One more thing that you said, too, which I think is important. It's like, you know, because then, then other people go, well, why can't he have an opinion? And it's like, you know, dude, I, hey, I'm, I'm 1,000% for freedom of speech. I think that, you know, we already live in a world where freedom of speech is sort of this fleeting thing that everyone forgets about you know but look man have your opinion but you're you're missing you're not acknowledging the truth of the situation which is undebate it's not debatable the truth of this matter you know it's not about having an opinion on the truth or the reality of it 
sure, you can have an opinion. Yeah, let's not disrespect the national anthem and the flag. But yeah, that has nothing that. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this and what exactly. this is about and what this means and what these people are saying. It has nothing to do with it. So your opinion, literally, you're not you're not having an opinion on anything that's real. Exactly. No, one hundred percent. One hundred percent, dude. And and and, you, and I think that you you make and and with you saying that, it, it really makes it uh, a shame to hear somebody who you would think would have that understanding should have yeah. that understanding. Yeah, to just Drew, willfully sidestep it. Drew's a and, Purdue guy, bro. Yeah, that's what. And I tried to be gentle with them <laughs> when I talked about it last night. <laughs> I tried to be gentle. I can't. I reiterated so many times that I have no problem with how he sees the national anthem and the American flag. I have no problem with that. Right. But that is not what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> you weren't even asked about the American flag. <laughs> you went into that on your own, and now you are paying the price for it. You do have the, the, the right to have an opinion, but it doesn't mean that that opinion is going to be uh, uh, allowed to stand without scrutiny. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what people too. did because they instantly, in this culture we're in now where we see it in a heartbeat because the information spreads, you know, we instantly recognize that as a slap, as a fuck off. Yeah. I'm not, go, you know, I'm, I'm, that's, that's how a lot of his, play, his teammates saw it. That's how a lot of black people see it. Absolutely. You have, you have a chance to talk about it and be honest about it. And not even, we're not even, we're, we're talking about the protesting in the sense of the, the, the ideals behind it. And you go off to some other shit that nobody was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's selfish and it's tone deaf. And Hey, again, like I said, I'm not mad in a, at an opinion, but let's, let's just be, Let's just be aware of what what we're really talking about and talk about that and stop moving the goalpost. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I was pretty I felt bad for him cuz I was like, dude, you know, you were like an all-American dude, man, and you fucking blew it big time. Yeah, a lot of ton of people who have who who hold him in high regard who after yesterday they can't support, they can't support, they can't accept that kind of, that kind of callousness yeah. in his answer. And it's going to bring down their view of him significantly uh, for moving forward. Yeah. I, I can't look at that dude the same way. Yeah. I can't because he, I mean, that was a clear as day. I, the answer was clear as day to me. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah. Which means you don't want to acknowledge it. Yeah. So we so so then so then that's it. So I will no longer get, care about anything you say until about anything. you address that. Until right? you address that, we can't even talk about nothing else with you. It's on you now. To I don't care how much money you've donated to nothing. I don't give a shit. You can't <laughs> be a man and talk about it. But you're yeah. supposed to be this superstar. You're supposed to be this role model. But yeah. when you're when the when it came down to the real facts of the matter and when the when your ass is against the blades to just be honest about what we're talking about now you couldn't do it so if you can't do it then in the most important moment then 
I ain't never gonna 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 look to you for any kind of advice moving forward. Yeah. Like that response may make sense coming like twenty five years ago. That response makes sense if the question was uh so if the players if players begin begin kneeling during the national anthem, how would you feel about that? Is that something that uh you Sure. Uh, would, that that you would 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 understand if uh, uh, knowing that when it was happening with Colin Kaepernick, you were against it then. Have you evolved any on this? Is this something that you can understand from a different perspective now? If he would have, I mean, damn. Even if he's even if you asked know, the dude. question that way, I'm just saying. The answer is still kind of just a robotic answer. Like, yeah, yeah. No, it's just so ignorant. You know, that's what I meant. Like, you know. It was just so ignorant and out and tone deaf, you know. Um, well, fuck, dude, we've been rolling, man, and uh, oh, yeah. I really appreciate you, dude. And no, I- man, thanks for having me, man. I really, you know, like like with my podcast, I, I was so uh, appreciative that you came on and did the first episodes with me. And when you asked me to come on to this, of course, man, like, you know, that that's, you don't even have to ask that. Just tell me, Hey, I'm doing a podcast this time. Uh, let's you, you can roll, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I can roll, man. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. And, and, that, and that's the thing, man. We, that's the brotherhood we have. And that's because we, it, we come from a different world kind of. Yeah. And you know, it's not races is race for the i mean for the most part is not a factor in anything that has to do with with any of us in our interactions because we yep. go through hell with each other and when you go through hell with each other you don't the color color part that fades away quick yeah because i got to trust this guy yeah i have to i have to trust with my own livelihood that he is going to have my back and he has to trust with his livelihood that i'm going to have his and if we, if one of us messes it up, both of us mess it up and it's not, you know, and we, and, and that can jeopardize, you know, our entire lives yeah. uh, is from a career standpoint. So, you know, when you, when you take away all of those layers of, of, of social, like social uh, posturing with, with racism and uh, prejudice, separateness, you know, otherness. And, 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 and being away from people and being separated you know, and you pull people in, in a group together and force them to operate together to be successful, that stuff disappears fast. Yeah. It disappears fast. And, and that's how artificial it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a construct. And it's all built on fear, man. Yeah. You know? And, uh, yeah, dude. I know, man. Well, that's we, why we, we can, that's can... why we can, we, that's why we can, we can sit here and talk about this. And, and there's no anger or there's no like resentment or there, and because we understand each other. Cause we done been through the fire together. I know I can imagine walking in his footsteps the same way that you can imagine walking in mine. Yeah. Even though on that one rate on the racist side, there may be, there's difference there, but no, you understand what it's like to be in our, uh, to be in my shoes from a life standpoint, because we've gone through the same things Yeah. for a long period of time together. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude. I was just thinking about, you know, <laughs> going through the fire together on the field and then going uh, over to, the house to smoke some blunts afterwards. Yeah, 
just and just lay back and be like, oh my god, oh fuck, we got Wednesday. Wednesday's coming up already, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, back to the grind. You know what is I mean? Like, still, is Titan still around? No, man, he passed uh, oh. uh, 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 right before Thanksgiving, uh, twenty eighteen. Oh, right man. before it, but he was he, he was went twelve so years, dude. Twelve, yeah, man. Huh? 12 years had him 12 years my english bulldog dutch he passed away uh two years ago yeah 2018 he was 10 but titan was titan was such a beat (laughs) yeah man that was my little buddy man you know it's uh i still miss him i still miss him oh my god they're like you're they're like kids man yeah he was there with me from my rookie year dude yeah yeah and uh you know, love the dog. You know, he that dog was 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 a, was was like everybody's favorite little kid dog. Yeah, like he never. I never heard my dog. He never barked at anybody. Like was aggressive towards anybody. To. He didn't. He loved my. He loved my daughter. Like he would That's literally so like protect her, hang around her just to make sure she was good as an I infant. Love that. And you know, he would let her like you know, jump on him and he would, you know, he's just, he just knew, he knew it was a little baby and he knew that was our, it was our baby. So he wanted to protect it. And, you know, for everybody listening, Titan was this gray pit bull who was just, it was, he was like a fucking Panther dude. His head was enormous. (laughs) He was terrifying. (laughs) Literally the sweetest dog ever. Oh man. He people would see him from across the street and be like, Whoa. (laughs) But you know, as soon as you get within 10 feet of him and you, then, you know, instantly, Oh, this dog is, he's a pup. He's just a little baby. He just loves to just hang around and be pet and shown love. Like he's not even, he he's not in any kind of aggressive mode at no. any time unless yeah. he has to be which you know never really had any situations like that but yeah um you know just a great dog great pet i still got his collar i still got his uh yes, i have his his uh, a thing with some of his ashes in it and uh his paw print on on a on a cast so love that dude uh you know that was uh you know it's as a family member it's my little kid he's my it first is, kid yeah. <laughs> I had to ask about it. <laughs> um, well, brother, thank you so much. Why don't you shout out all your stuff that you got going on for everybody to follow? Yeah, yeah. So, pod. yeah. So, you know, I got my YouTube channel. Uh, my YouTube channel has been running now, I think about what, about nine, nine months I've been doing it. Uh, it's just my name, Uche Waneri, but I am also titled The Observant Lineman. Yeah, uh, I do a number of videos just reacting to, you know, sports world, sports news, more uh, concentrated on football, but also uh, bringing uh, bringing people stories about my time as a football as a football player in the NFL uh, and in college. You know, um, a lot of stories about my first encounters with like Ray Lewis and uh, and and, uh, and Albert Hainsworth and oh Domica Sue, like, you know. I, I take people through my experiences as a football player, but also react to things that are happening in the here and now. So make sure you check that out. I'm on YouTube. I'm on uh, Twitch as well. 
and uh, that is my social media side for sure. And I also have my CBD works that I do with, the CB- with my CBD company. Uh, and I just actually got uh, reached out to, and I don't really know if I should say it yet, but uh, EA Sports has reached out to me to uh, potentially look into working with them on Madden. So, oh yeah, dude. Uh, we'll see how that plays out, but um, it's uh, it looks it seems like a, a great opportunity and something that could potentially be huge for me. But because um, I'm a huge gamer, as most people who know me know. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's where you can find me. That's things I'm kind of messing with right now. And again, Evan, I appreciate you for bringing me on, man. This is, this has been an amazing conversation. So glad we had it. Oh yeah, for sure, dude. Anytime, anytime you want me to come back, let me know. And I would love to come back. You know who else I think we need to get on here? (laughs) Uh, Tony Pachos. Oh, definitely. Did you you get, did you, you knew Tony. Did you get to know Tony at all? I did. I love Tony, man. It wasn't long enough because he got released. He got released like the, the same year, year I he, came in. Yeah, the year you came in. I basically came in and got the right tackle job. Yeah, yeah. And then they and released my – yeah. They asked Tony to take a pay Take a pay cut. cut. Yeah, yeah. He said, fuck, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went to San Fran. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. I'd love to have Tony on here. He oh, was, man. Me and Tony and – me and Tony talk a lot. Uh, nice, I, I, we, we, I talked to him, uh, day before yesterday, actually. Where's he living now? He's in Chicago. You know, he's from, he's from Illinois. He's from, he's from, he's from, he's from uh, Chicago. Yeah. He's, he's living outside, you know, got his little farm, but, uh, I love that. yeah, man, me, he, that's somebody who we would have a wild conversation with. All right. Wild. Let's do that. Let's do that next time. A three-way pod. Yeah, yeah. Totally I'll hit him up. I'll hit him up and try because I was gonna try and bring him on mine yesterday, but he was uh, dealing with the family, getting stuff handled yeah, there. So no, that is. But I you figured know. because me and him have had multiple, multiple hour conversations, that he's gonna have some time to do talking if we can catch him. All right, cool. Well, do a little group text and put us together. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, my brother. Well, Ooch, thank you again, man. You're the man. Thank hey, you, everybody. Brother. Thank you so much for jamming with me this episode of the Ebb and Flow podcast. Thank you to my brother Uche. Uh, I hope you guys got something out of that. Hey, man, we're in crazy times and it's time to heal as a people. You know, all the spiritual people want to say we are all one and all of that. And the truth is, we are, but we can't get to experience the full greatness of that until we acknowledge the pain of our brothers and sisters, no matter what color skin they have. None of us were brought into this world choosing the color of skin we have. So we have to acknowledge this if we're going to heal and we're going to move on. So I love you guys. Stay in the paint, baby. Keep breathing. Keep Mm -hmm. doing your thing. Lots of love to all of you out there. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace.